joining us today on Lattes with Leaders. I'm Zaina. And I'm Trisha. And we're excited for you to join us as we catch up over coffee with CEOs and executives from diverse backgrounds and industries. We seek to discover what is unique about each leader and educate you guys on new and interesting topics. Our conversations seek to enlighten and inspire people from around the world to realize that ordinary people can achieve extraordinary things. I always talk about you lead with the head or you lead with the heart, right? And I've learned throughout my career, especially working internationally and across different cultures, you need to lead with your heart, right? You need to kind of understand it's about showing empathy. It's about building the relations, building the trust and all of that. Our guest for this episode, Anouk de Bleek, started her career in Brussels and has over 30 years of experience as an HR executive across the world. She's led teams at top multinational brands, from Citibank in Europe to ANZ in Australia and Visa in Singapore. In today's episode, Anouk shares how to plan an international career and how to create an HR strategy that enables diversity, inclusion and belonging on a global scale. Hi, Anouk. Welcome to Lattes of Leaders. We're so excited to have you today. So, Anouk, I'd love to um, start by just giving our audience an introduction of you and um, what your career journey has been to date. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and thanks again for, for having me. And, and I think it's amazing to see in today's environment, in today's world, how technology allows us all to connect, right, and having this conversation. So I, I, I'm really excited, uh, excited about that. Um, you know, just a, a quick thing about myself before we, we go any further. Um, I'm originally from Belgium and, and uh, kind of left Belgium, I would say, 20 years ago when I started to to, to travel for, for, for work. So, so I think, you know, for myself, I've been uh, working internationally for around 20 years uh, from New York to to Melbourne and, and, and everything in between. Um, and I've been very fortunate to work almost three decades into the corporate world in, in financial services, payments and, and technology. Yeah, and thank you for that. And I think the thing that really stood out to us when we were um, looking for people, um, like podcast guests to bring to our audience, um, you particularly stood out to us, Anouk, having been a HR leader for an extensive period over so many different geographies and that's really impressive right you've come from one country you've lived and worked in so many other countries but really looking at the people aspect of the business what was the thing that kind of drove you into this space Hmm. well it's it's a very interesting um journey right and I think people sometimes think careers are straight lines but we all know that's not the case right careers are our journeys and 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 I kind of started my journey early on if I if, if you look at it I come from a family of, of teachers both my my mom and and dad were teachers and I was very inspired their passion in life right um my dad was in middle school and my mom was dealing with kindergarten I was 
passionate about what they they were doing um and and so i felt i i wanted to really follow their footsteps and and i i kind of wanted to be a teacher as well so i i kind of went um to 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 college became um, a, a teacher french um history and and ethics and 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 was very motivated right to go um and and kind of um, you know live my passion unfortunately at that time which was uh, more than 30 years ago i think in belgium um there was no really any job so so i didn't want to really kind of just wait until something came i did a bit of evening school i gave lessons i gave french to to adults and and i did a couple of of those things um but then i kind of said okay i need to do something right i can't just wait and see and and there was this company that was looking for young graduates um they were a, an it company a very male dominated IT company and they uh, were looking for young students mainly women uh, to come to rejuvenate i would say their organization but at the same time also they wanted to really change a bit of the mix you know and getting a bit more more females into that male dominated environment and so it was interesting because it was like a job where i didn't know anything of it um it was an account executive so i was supposed to go and and sell solutions which i didn't know anything about um but they were kind of keen to invest um and and interesting enough i think the first 6 7 years of my career were in that it world as a salesperson you know um in an environment where i was learning a lot um and and interesting enough you know it it taught me to be more assertive because you know i was like this youngster you know coming in not sure what and how so it it taught me right i think relationship skills it taught me to become more assertive and then i realized yeah i don't really want to do this right with my life i want to go and 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 give back i want to kind of deal with with people not in a sales capacity but rather growing them developing them and and i saw uh, at a certain point there was a role in citibank they were looking in belgium for a technology training officer um and i was a bit intrigued by the title and the role because they were looking for someone that could help train develop people in in that technology world and i kind of thought okay i you know i i have this training background i come from it uh, why don't i go and and see and that was my start of working with Citibank for 15 years where I kind of joined technology and it was training but then it became development and then I realized that my former training or my former formation was helping me to connect and see certain things and then I kind of started my career as a as a trainer as running the training department as becoming an HR business partner generalist and and off i went um and that was really the start and i didn't really look out for it i didn't really was kind of wanting to do that but the hr head at the time they kind of saw something in me and and said you know why don't you just go off and 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 do this right so so that was my start with with citibank into more of a people oriented role and was the start of the journey because someone kind of saw something in me and wanted to give me a chance and took it and and you know that was the beginning when i was in my first 7 years of my career um i met my husband um interesting enough um he was a you know a competitor in in one of the other it companies um that we were working with and so i met him 
in Morocco of all places. You know, he's from Belgium. I'm from Belgium and, and it must have been destiny, right? When both of us were selected to go on an incentive trip to Morocco, Marrakesh, and we met each other there. Um, but the interesting thing was that when you're like um, competitors, um, it's not easy, right, at home to kind of you know, find yeah. something that you kind of get to. So so when I started to work with City, um, he started to, you know, work and, and complete his career um, in telecom and, and he was doing international jobs as well. And he had the chance to go to the U.S. Um, to build the business in the U.S. Um, and I was just very new into my roles at City. And, and so I had the chance, obviously, to join him and to follow him around that. And again, an organization like City obviously is amazing, right, because they have the footprint. So it gave me an opportunity to to go from having the experience into Belgium to start my international career because I followed him at that time. Um, and, and what we realized is when we were in the U.S. after a couple of years when we had to come back, it was around how do you combine these dual careers, right? Because um, if people think dual careers are easy, they're not, right? So when we came back to, to Europe and to Belgium after a period of time, um, we agreed, right? And my husband said, listen, if you ever have an opportunity to go overseas, you followed me the first time, I will follow you the next time, right? Provided it's an exotic place. So that was the only pressure he put on me, that if a, an international assignment would come up, it had to be an, you know, an exotic one, right? So, um, so it's, it's, it's interesting, right? As you kind of go through these uh, stages, is that you you learn, you adapt, um, and it's in, indeed someone in your surroundings that gives you that push, you know, on the on the professional side. But it's also having a partner, right, that is there to help you, support you, and take a step back when that time is there, or step, put a step forward, right, when it's needed. Also, so I've been very fortunate, I would say, in that regard, uh, both on the professional side as on the personal side. So. Uh, yeah, it's really interesting, Anouk, to hear you talk about the dynamics between yourself and your husband, because I think a lot of people forget this, um, but it's something my husband and I have definitely been talking about more recently. We're mm. both um, in that phase of our career where I think, um, you know, it's the climbing phase. So we're both starting to hit mid-management and it is getting to the point where he's an engineer. So um, he is someone who... Um, just the nature of their work requires them to go to different countries. And the nature of my work, because I work in financial services, is that there's very few countries in the world which are financial services hubs. So there's New York, London, Hong Kong, Singapore, Sydney not being one of them. Um, and um, that that co constant conversation that we're having is uh, is around that and actually it's really difficult to take that step back or be the person to potentially take the step back at that time if your partner does have that opportunity on that point that was something that I was going to ask you is when you were making these decisions to move to these other countries although it was in the benefit of your partner how did you plan your own career around that? So how did you actually figure out like what you could do in, um, for instance, in moving from Belgium to the US? How did you actually figure out what you were going to do there and how to have those conversations? The thing is that when, when he was asked to go um, for his, his company to the US, 
um, it was like a bit, okay, how do you go about this, right? Because it was early on in my career. And so when we started to move, um, I think we're, we're not, we were not 30 years, right? It was in the early stages and, and, and I was still very new to, to, to city. I was there for a couple of, of, of years. Um, and what I realized is that, you know, when you're part of a large organization or a global organization, it's all about the relationships and it's all about the networking, right? And it's all about how do you kind of navigate through the network of a large organization, but also how do you use it as a way to to establish your brand, to establish what you are about and what you are able to offer. Um, because I think that when you go into an international career or you go into another role, you always need to offer something, right? There's a lot you can get from the role, but there's something you need to give. So for me, it was important to understand what is my value proposition, right? What do I bring to the table? Because I had to go and interview, right? within Citibank in, in the U.S. for a specific role. Um, and then I realized that, okay, I already have a network in Belgium, in Europe. How can I leverage that? So, so I think it was about how do you kind of use the network that you have built it to make introductions, to make sure you get to the right people and to the right opportunities. But then at the same time is around how could I make sure I put my best foot forward but I think establishing your brand and your network is something that I think is extremely helpful, has been helpful for me for the last 30 years and will continue to be moving forward. And, and that means you need to invest in that, which I think we sometimes don't do enough of. Right. So so I learned that to do that. And I always encourage that to others to do as well. Um and, and sometimes people tell me, yes, but I, I need to network. I need to talk to someone. I don't have an agenda. Uh, what do I, what am I going to tell people? So I think it's also about not thinking about what is going to be your agenda, but just reaching out and learning from people, right? Trying to understand, getting to know what their career is about, right? And, and so I think it's daring to be out there. Right? I think was something that I had yeah. to learn. Um, and uh, I think I've got a lot better at that, <laughs> I think, yeah. over the years. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I really like the point you made there about the fact that you, you know, you're open to learning and you use your networks and the people around you to continue to push your learning journey because moving countries is a big learning experience, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, you have to take what you are already very good at, you know, that you've developed in one country's context and then be able to apply it in a totally new context. I was just reading this book and I'm not sure if you've heard of it, um, The Culture Map by mm -hmm. Erin Maya. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I love it because yeah. she talks so specifically about what those specific points are that make people confused about how to communicate and how to yeah. adapt in different mm -hmm. cultural environments. Um, and it takes a lot of preparation and consciousness that in Australia, the UK, countries like that, you are used to, for example, giving feedback in a very gentle way, you know, yeah. um, by telling people three great things about what they do before you give them a negative yeah. piece of feedback yeah. Yeah. versus in 
um, some other countries where giving feedback is a very direct um, act. You know, you have to kind of get straight to the point. Otherwise, you know, people don't think that they're actually getting feedback. So so there's a lot of nuances when you move to a new country. How do you go about preparing yourself for um, being able to effectively, firstly, yourself being able to adapt to that new environment, but also as someone who is an HR leader, Mm. how do you adapt your practices and Mm. your strategy to that new culture and that new environment? No, and I think it's a great um, question. I think a great observation. And and I think, um, you know, having books like Culture Map and and, and there's a number of authors that that are there um, that help you understand. So it's about this whole thing about listening and learning and trying to understand because I think that before you can really make an impact in a, in a culture, it's and, and in a new environment, it's about, um, first of all, being humble, right, and, and, and learning, but it's about understanding the traditions. What are the ways of doing is how, how are people looking at, at things um, and, and how do they express themselves and invest time to, to get to know and, and understand because otherwise you make decisions that are going against that and you make mistakes. Um, I still remember when, as I said, when I went to Central and Eastern Europe and, and I worked in Russia for four years also, um, I, um, I made an assumption that I thought that, that culturally the way you would manage would be similar. Right, as you would do in the in 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 the West or in Europe or or in the US, and especially when you come from an organization like City, where it is very much uh, results driven, it's very it's 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 very I would say action oriented and all of that. So so I came from a certain mold because I worked in in Europe, I worked in in in, in the US, and then I, I I you know I went working in 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 Russia and I kind of thought okay this is the same style probably that I need to have and I heard you know some people have told me oh you need to be quite direct and stuff because that's how you need to things done and and kind of I probably you know was a bit naive right in in this type of environment and I kind of thought okay I I need to do this way and and my team I had my first engagement um, survey um, that I got very early on and uh, the numbers were appalling and I kind of wondered, my God, what is happening? What 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 did I do, and 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 why? And then I started to realize is that I made an assumption that I had to lead in a certain way, and I always talk about you lead with the head or you lead with the heart, right? And I've learned throughout my career, especially working internationally and across different cultures, you need to lead with your heart, right? You need to kind of understand. It's about showing empathy. It's about building the relations, building the trust and all of that. So so I kind of very early on in my career learned how not to do it, how to translate it in how to do it. And that was, for me, I would say a big lesson. I think your point around um, the type of leader you are as well and speaking to things like having empathy and getting to know people on more of a people basis rather than 
this is the country that I'm going to and this is the BU that I'm working with um, makes such a big difference. I think in more recent years, there's definitely been a massive shift towards more of a people-centric organisation. So how can you figure out what people's strengths are and design jobs for those people around their strengths? And how do we actually, instead of asking people to uplift on weaknesses for their roles, um, focusing on what they're good at and giving them things that they you know that they can succeed in um as well as like that more personal touch I think um and I'd love to hear your reflections on kind of a 30-year career in the space where have you seen that shift and particularly because you um lead global organizations how do you actually create employee experiences that do keep staff across so many geographies and actually hold together an organization. There has been this shift from HR being this, this, this controlling function, right? What was about policies and process and, 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 and making sure that, you know, these things, the practices were there. Um, it has moved a lot around, okay, how do you kind of really create an environment where, to your point, you put people at the center and the practices you have are to align your people to the purpose and the strategy and, and ensuring there's the right culture in place to make that happen. While I think in the past it was more top-down, right? <laughs> I think now it has become a lot more buttons up with the person at the center. And that has been necessary, right? Because the environment, as we've seen it over the last years, have become so much... Um, unpredictable and there's been so much change and we talk about we live in this VUCA world but it is true it is volatile it's uncertain it's complex and it's ambiguous right so so it is necessary to adapt your way of looking at 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 people like you have to adapt your way you look at clients right because in clients if you want to get your clients you need to see what the client wants right so in the past organizations tended to forget the client often right so i see the same approach with clients as i see with people so so now uh, more and more organizations are putting uh, people at the center and they're trying to align the, the right environment for for kind of making sure that they can drive the purpose of the organization and the strategy of the organization. So so I think that's the case. But that also means that that there's been a lot more focus on 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 I would say um, in larger organizations, not just having a global approach, but having a global approach, right? So it means that how do you bring the local I would say specificity, um, you know, and the richness um, in an environment that is global. And, and I think organizations that are able to have this global slash local approach and bring it together, these are organizations that succeed because they will kind of, uh, I would say, drive the strategy and the people strategy of what matters for people, you know, wherever they are. Um, I think in addition to that, I think it's also this notion, as you mentioned, about the employee experience. I think the employee experience 
um, again, the same thing as with the customer experience is important, right? Because in an, an employee journey, there are these moments that matter. And, and when I say a moment that matters is, is a moment that, that is important for or a customer or for an employee. And that might be the moment you're on board, right? The moment you're hired, the moment you make a promotion, the moment you go on maternity leave, the moment you come back from maternity leave. So, so in employee journeys, these are all times that, that um, are extremely important. And now, I think organizations that truly have a people-focused approach, they see the benefit of really making these moments count because when you build retention, if you build stickiness, if you build loyalty, you do that when people feel that they're cared about, right? <laughs> and so you can imagine that in the past, HR, yes, we care about people, but, but I think HR was too much focused on the process, right, or the control. Now I think there's this whole focus on making sure that you can, you can give people the right environment they are going to be able to be at their best. You're going to create a culture where there's inclusiveness and there's well-being and where they can grow and learn. And moreover, as they go through the journey, um, every time when there's a key moment in their life or their career – um, we're going to make sure that this is a moment that we cherish, right? And that represents the type of organization we want to be. I do also want to go back to a comment that you just made yeah. around glocalization. Was that yeah. the term? Yeah, glo yeah, glocal. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's the first time I've heard that. Um, and I actually kind of, I'm very curious about that because um, actually I was just talking to uh, my manager yesterday and um, even my company were like a, we're a startup, but we are, you know, thinking through things like global expansion. One of the challenges that a lot of companies have when thinking through, okay, what does it mean to have multiple offices and to transmit your culture across multiple offices is that fine balance between localizing your approach and making sure that employees in each region feel like they've been um, accommodated for based on their cultural practices and what's the norm in their countries versus maintaining consistency and equity yeah, across yeah. the company. How do you think through that balance and achieving the balance of as you say, globalization? If you want to be a global organization, you need to have certain points of, of, to your point, consistency and commonality. And, and I think that, uh, for example, um, you want to make sure that, that culturally, you know, you, you, because culture is, is going to be the, 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 the mold, right? It's going to be what, what keeps everything together. You, you want a, a culture that is, 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 is common and that is consistent across with, with values, being across the organization that are the same. That being said, um, you will see that certain uh, countries might interpret certain things in a, in a different way or, or they might need to translate that on something that makes sense for them. So, so I think that's why organizations that are global need to really have that local voice around the table. And that brings me back to diversity and inclusion, right? You might have a great diversity, <laughs> but if you don't have the inclusion, then you can't bring those voices 
forward, right? That that show what is required at, at, at a local basis. So, so I think an organization needs to really think about what needs to be common in the organization. I'm a strong believer that from a leadership perspective, I'm a strong believer to have local leaders in a global organization. Um, but sometimes um, you need to make sure that those local leaders have the leadership principles that you carry as a, as a global organization, right? So, so I think it, it's, I speak about global because for me, this is the way where you have the best of both worlds, provided you have a culture of inclusion where, where those voices are being heard. Yeah, and it's um, interesting because I think a lot of um, the statistics around this back up um, what you're saying, right, which is around, you know, you need to have a diverse workforce and you need to allow that diverse workforce to have a seat at the table to be able to voice opinions and actually make the organisation richer. And when I say richer, I do mean in terms of profitability as well. So um, I think Forbes had a study which found that um Companies that are ethnically and racially diverse have 43% higher profits. And companies that have greater gender diversity performed 15% better than companies with less gender diversity. But then when you look at the actual implementation of that across organizations it's quite contradictory I think it's a Sydney newspaper that did a study around um, what inclusion and diversity looks like and this is probably quite Australia heavy but 76% of companies have no diversity or inclusion goals and 75% of companies do not have any DNI included in the company's leadership development or overall learning and development curricula, as well as 40% of companies view diversity work as a way to mitigate legal compliance or reputational yeah. <laughs> risk, mm-hmm. which is laughable when you look at what the impact can be on an organisation. What are your thoughts around that um, that dichotomy between the two trains of thought where there's obvious studies that are coming to the forefront now around what inclusion and diversity can do in terms of economics versus what companies are actually doing and implementing on that front. Sometimes it's about checking the box, right, versus creating sustainable change. And and for me, all of this depends and, and goes back to the leadership, right? Because otherwise, it's just words on a piece of paper, and it's it's not about actions. And 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 I'm a strong believer that if you want to stay relevant in today's world, if you want to be innovative, if you want to be creative, if you want to create sustainable growth, you need to really have that that mix, right? You need to have that diversity of thought. You need to be able to to be creative and, and, and try things out. Um, and that means that you need to create an environment that is inclusive. Otherwise, no voices are being mentioned. And, and they say diversity is having a seat at the table. Inclusion is having a voice. And then there's belonging is for that voice to be heard, right? So you go sometimes even a step further from diversity and inclusion to this sense of belonging. And, and organizations that do that well... Um, they thrive, right? And guess what? These days, I think employees that are looking for a new role in organization, 
they want to be part of organizations that that really embrace this. And I love how you broke that concept down to diversity, inclusion, and belonging, because there are some organizations that seem to think, oh, if I bring in like, you know, diversity into my workforce, then the inclusion and belonging will just follow. Like it's it's all one and the same thing, but it really isn't. How do you think about actually implementing the inclusion and belonging piece, which I think honestly is the hardest piece? I think in order to drive change, I think sometimes you need to institutionalize certain practices. I don't think change comes, you know, always very, you know, naturally. I think it, it's it's important that that you 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 act upon that as a leadership team. So as I said, it's about reviewing your the way how you recruit people. I think it's about looking how you promote people. I think it's looking at how do you train your leaders? How do you make sure there's no unconscious bias or they're aware of their unconscious bias, I would say. Um, It's about how do you mentor and sponsor some of your talent. Um, It's about understanding why people leave the organization. Um, So as I said, it's not one size fits all and there's no silver bullet. I think, when you want to create that right environment. But you need to start at the top and you need to hold leaders accountable and, and, and they need to role model, obviously, the type of organization you want to be. Um, but it, 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 it requires some effort and that's why I think that's what I see the role of HR, right? Being a key partner on that is, is, is helping an organization be, be ready but also holding up the mirror and giving feedback around, guess what? You want to be inclusive, uh, but you just did this or that. Well, that goes against what you're trying to achieve, right? You could have done it in a different way. So, so I think the role HR plays there or leaders play in general. I think they can coach each other in that regard because it's a new muscle organizations need to build because that's not what they've done in the past, right? Um, and uh, but I think if you take a joint effort and each of us kind of takes a step forward, you know, you you get there right in the right way, provided you have the leadership setting the right tone from the top. My sense. Yeah, and I think that's such a good point and um, a great kind of close, um, a, a great way for us to close out for the session because I think as middle managers as leaders or as even people on the ground within an organization it's actually the behaviors that all of us instill within um, within our day-to-day practice that makes a big difference on the environment that we're actually instilling and almost that comes from the top to an extent but actually Mm -hmm. we've all got a personal obligation to create an environment that is healthy happy and allows people to come into work and feel as though they that they are fully accepted by the organization and by their teams that they're working in and that's our final note Anouk and I'd just like to say thank you so much for the conversation I found it so insightful um, and I'm hoping our audience does too Don't forget to check out our more recent episodes where we connect with global female CEOs to explore how to make it to the top. Whether your ambition is to be an executive at a corporate, build a franchise or pivot your traditional career, check us out. 
Be sure to give us a like or follow on LinkedIn, TikTok or Instagram at Lattes with Leaders. Our mission is to hear the voices of women from around the world. So if you're an avid listener and want your voice heard through our platform, please reach out.